This is Thank You Heartbreak. Hi, everyone. I'm Chelsea Lee Trescott. As a breakup coach, relationship advice columnist, and the founder of Break Upward, Chelsea is passionate about human beings and their stories. She talks to people about their journeys in love, growth, heartbreak, revelations, and every wound and lesson along the way. This podcast shines a light on heartbreak, showing you that the most crushing experiences are also your greatest opportunity to become meaningful, relatable human beings. Now, let's get to the heart of it. Hi, everyone. This is Chelsea Lee Truscott, breakup coach and podcast host of Thank You Heartbreak. And this is episode 95 with Liza Grando. If you want to bypass this intro, just go to somewhere around the 12 minute mark to get right into this episode with Liza. Otherwise, you're stuck with only me for a few minutes. I'm so excited. Oh, I'm always so excited. I'm always so excited to be doing this podcast and to be introducing different guests to you. I guess I'm in the right place, right? It's really cool to think that I created this podcast and yet each time I tell you, it's just the first words that come out. I know they're kind of typical words, but that I'm excited. What I'm saying is that it's great and powerful to create something that excites you rather than waiting for something For someone else to give you something that will excite you every once in a while, I encourage you to maybe find that thing or take a chance on what that could be. I remember when I was not in the most exciting place, though I had veered off on my own. I was a breakup coach. I decided to pull out of a PhD program. So that was kind of this adrenaline rush in and of itself. I had an advice column. That was so exciting. I was in this new relationship and yet I felt stagnant. I felt like I wasn't excited. In fact, I was becoming a little bit fearful each day and I was going for this walk around my twin sister's lake as I was visiting her. I was by myself. I was with our two dogs and I just knew that there was something more, something next, something that I should be reaching for next that could bring me further along, not to abandon the advice column or being a breakup coach, but that would fulfill more of that goal. And the three words came to me, thank you, heartbreak. And it hit me instantly what that could be. And it began as a Q&A series with Mogul. And I'm telling you all this because my guest today is the OG of Thank You Heartbreak. She's one of the first guests. She's the 16th guest, actually. But she was the most, quote unquote, this is not a popularity contest, but she was, I think, the most popular spotlight that I did. And I always kind of wondered why, like, what was it about her that resonated with so many people? And I hope you get a sense of what that is when you listen to her today. I feel like it's, she's just natural. Like, there's so many qualities because obviously I did the spotlight with her. And then after the spotlight, I got a picture of her and I was like, oh my God, this woman is stunning. And if you heard me in other episodes, I spoke about that something really nice, for lack of a better word, about my career, but also this podcast is speaking to so many women and speaking to women that seem like strong women, strong in mind and strong in beauty, and that it's easy to feel envious of that or keep a distance 
And for me, it was just to gravitate toward men all the time. And so this project has brought me close to women that I don't even know are as beautiful and as wise until I am talking to them or afterwards when they send me a picture. So all this to say, she is a stunning woman. And then on top of that, she also just... She kind of speaks a mile a minute, which I am all about. I actually have more faith and confidence in people that talk really quickly because I'm thinking, okay, they're not worried that they're going to like mince words or they're trying to hide something. They're not trying to be so careful and so selective. They're not trying to just get it all right. They have some element that they're pulling from a pool really deep within themselves and that whatever they say, they trust in it. They're not being too careful. I like that. Also, something different about Liza is that she doesn't have a practice. Now, a lot of my guests do have practices, and as I've said before, I envy those practices. I admire those practices, but I'm someone that doesn't have that. That's not to say that I won't, that I won't try it. I think I'd like to, but I would say that it doesn't feel naturally me. I do think that we should bring in new things that don't seem like ourselves and see how that feels to try it on to expand ourselves. But I also think that we should pay a lot of attention to what feels natural to us. In today's world, we're kind of offered a lot of different ways to come into ourselves. And a lot of the times we feel like, especially when we see what other people are doing and seeing that it works for them, and we see that people have a huge following around these things, we feel like we should be doing it too. So maybe we should be a yoga student right? A lot of people that do yoga get a lot of applaud. Is that a word? A lot of applaud, a lot of applause, and they get followers for good reason. But we can end up thinking we need to be a yoga student. And I've tried it and I enjoy the times that I do it. But I know that when I'm there, I'm doing something that really isn't me. And so it's good for that reason, but it's not me. I mean, I was a soccer player. I was a goalie. I threw my body in front of a ball and in front of people. I tackled people. I was a runner. And the reality is that I think I would feel much more alive if I got back to that and wasn't so fearful about getting back to that if I was to do anything. That isn't to say not to try these other things because they're helping me in the meantime as I inch my way closer maybe to this summer of actually going out and playing soccer. If I do that, I'm going to let everyone know. We're going to hear all about it because this would be a big call back to myself. So what I appreciate about Liza is that, you know, she's not trying to be anything that she's not. And I think maybe that's what other people were drawn to is that it's not like she has some magical, mystical um, formula. She's just a woman with some experience and she's talking about it. It's as simple and as honorable as that. I was going to give you all the questions in the intro. Let, should I do it? I was going to give you the intro that I did originally for her Q&A. I've never read one of those, also because I haven't had many people from that Q&A series on. But I kind of am feeling like it because it was like where this podcast started. So let me read you her intro. I'm just going to do it. Also, I'm realizing that I close out the intro that I was doing for that Q&A spotlight with questions. They're kind of these coaching questions. And I've seen with my own clients recently that that's something that they really appreciate when I give them questions through the e-coaching. And then I'm able to talk to them about that on the phone. So questions are important. That's what coaching is about. And heading into the 100th episode, which I really think of as 
you know, some people do different seasons. So maybe in my mind, it's like season two. What am I going to bring after 100 episodes? How can I, you know, have this evolve and really bring it to the next level? I think part of it will be to have real coaching questions for you guys. Here is the intro. I'm going to include the spotlight link in the show notes because again, her answers really resonated with so many and gave me a lot of faith in Thank You Heartbreak as a concept itself. Employee turned president of the Moss Tucker Group, MTG, a boutique public relations and marketing firm specializing in children's brands and toys. Liza Marquez Grando of Philadelphia is a powerhouse provider in all areas of her life. At work, she provides innovative solutions for turning brands into household names. And at home, as her spotlight will attest to, she's shown her son what it is to build a life around a new role and a new reality. In our 16th spotlight, Liza opens up about her world post-divorce. She shares with us the tough questions she asked herself in the midst of heartbreak, questions which ultimately reframed her mind and gave her the sense that her future was now limitless. What struck me the most was Liza's humility. For instance, she talks about playing small in an effort to not overshadow her ex, fearing that her accomplishments would essentially make him feel less than, and as a result, in their marriage. But in retrospect, she realizes that he never asked her to protect him, which means her own fear is what overpowered her and not actually her ex. What's so stunning about this admission is there's no victimhood in it. There's no finger pointing. There's not even regret. There's simply recognition and responsibility, which is the most powerful place you can get yourself to post-breakup. As you read her spotlight, look out for what she says about how people tried to empower her during her heartbreak and why that proved to be so disempowering. And let her answers help you ask yourself, who am I hoping will show up for me and what do I think they have that can help me, improve me, better my life, or make it easier? Then ask, what do I already have that can help me? What qualities can I develop in myself that will improve my state of mind, quality of life, and even my self-esteem? What can I do for myself that will better my life? What can I get rid of that will make my life easier? Thank you guys so much for spending your hour with us. It touches me over and over and over and over again. I will never get enough of it. Seeing that you guys are listening and really having you reach out to me, it also would mean the absolute world if you can share your feedback publicly on Thank You Heartbreak on iTunes by leaving a review. When there's reviews there, it really pushes the podcast up so more people will tune in. And I know a lot of people need a podcast like this and need to hear from guests like Liza. Also, real fast, I do have to say the quality of sound on my end is not superb. I was in a different location. I was in Miami. I didn't properly think about how the sound quality might be different amongst larger ceilings. I apologize for that. There's also a few email chimes that you're going to hear. I couldn't take those out. It's just the nature of me. I was going to say podcasting, but maybe it's just the nature of me where this podcast is at. And it's just showing you guys some real life scenarios. Also, another shout out to Liza. What was really cool is that, you know, we became Facebook friends after she did the spotlight. 
And I've gotten to see her in a sense and, and kind of feel like I know her, but then I'd never spoken to her. So I didn't know who I was kind of going to be meeting, what their energy was going to be like, what her energy was going to be like. And I did get such a sense of it. And it was really a cool experience. She's really able to lead the conversation. And it was just an awesome moment because again, I had spent over a year knowing who this person was and really thinking fondly of her because she had participated so early on in this project and this concept. And I'm so happy for that reason to have her here and to get to share her with what is now a much, much, much larger audience. So I'm thankful for her also for showing me that this concept that I had, it resonated with people and there were, there were people like her that were willing to give to me as well and to support me in this dream. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to my audience. Hi, I'm Liza Grando. I'm the owner of the Moss Tucker Group, which is a PR and marketing firm. And I'm a mom of a six-year-old little boy. So got a lot going on at the same time. <laughs> First off, the Moss Tucker Group sounds like so legit. So legit. <laughs> it really does. Oh, thanks. Well, um, I was really fortunate. It actually was founded by an incredible woman named Maggie Moss Tucker, who is still such a great mentor to me. But I kind of applied just to be her virtual assistant. And it grew into this entire, you know, next step was being an account executive for the clients that she represented. And then she kind of trained me over the course of four to five years. And she was like, you know, I want you to take over because I want to retire eventually. So I took ownership of it about four or five years in and I've owned it for about six years now, seven years. It all goes so fast. So yeah, but she's a powerhouse. She's incredible. Wow. That's a break upward story right there. That is a really good one. So you've had it for almost as long as you've had your son. Right, right. And when I got pregnant was the year that I took over. So it was just all of these components kind of, you know, all of the roads came together. And that's kind of simultaneously when my marriage started to kind of fall apart as a result. So there's definitely a direct link for sure. Okay. So I'm excited to get into that. But first I have to ask you about being a mother to a son. Did you think that would happen? Did you have this feeling that you're going to have a boy? Um, you know, it's funny. I actually did have a feeling that I was going to have a boy. Uh, I had a dream about two days before I found out I was pregnant that I was holding a baby wearing blue pajamas and rocking him back and forth. And when I woke up in the morning, I just knew it was going to happen. And I had been trying for about a year. Yeah, we found out two days later and I just knew in my gut it was going to be a boy. And I was never really worried about it. I think most women that I've spoken to or moms that I've spoken to kind of automatically assumed they would want to grow. Girl. But for me, he's my little guy and we are very close. And if anything, I was just more concerned with making sure that I showed him as a strong woman how to be with strong women. I feel like that's my duty for the next generation, for the women that will be in his life. <laughs> so I take that role really seriously. Wow. Yeah. Like, how do you navigate that? Like, because I've heard that before, but what does that mean? As opposed to a boy being or a man being with a. Mm -hmm weak woman? I mean, that's a bad way of putting it. But No, yeah. I think it's more showing him that I 
respect myself and even from, you know, he's so little obviously, but even before that, just in my decisions and how I treat myself, just mm-hmm. showing him because that's really the best way. Obviously right now he's so young that he, he doesn't understand, Hey, you know, when you're with a woman, you need to do this. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's more showing him by example and showing him how I am with other people to, you know, teach him, okay, this is how a woman acts or how I should treat, you know? So I think just, again, giving him those life examples daily, I think will automatically translate when he's older. Yeah. I mean, I think it's all about how you show yourself. I mean, I remember someone writing into my advice column a while ago and I'd always been like very fearful and in my mind against divorce growing up. It was more of a fear that this would happen with my parents. And until this woman wrote into me and I like wrote my way through it, I never for a moment thought that the better choice would be to leave because, I mean, for example, like she was saying that she stayed with a cheating husband. She went back to him for the child, for the child, for the child. And mm-hmm. I was thinking like the worst thing that a girl or a boy can see is their mother like melt away into their bed and have resentment toward the husband. Like watching a mother without a dream is worse than a divorce. Oh, hands down. And I think, you know, as a product of divorce myself, my mom was a huge role model for me. I mean, she um, started off as a travel agent and then became one of the VPs at Virgin Atlantic. And so I was, you know, having her as a model to, to look up to kind of showed me as heartbreaking as it was to realize, you know what, if I stay, that'll be worse, you know, to quote unquote, keep his family together. That would be worse because he will then make those same choices when he's older. He needs to see what a true partnership looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that really propelled me. And I think, you know, my mom remarried when I was 10. So I think unfortunately at that point, I already kind of had that sense of abandonment for my own father. And I think that definitely had something to do with who I chose to be with when I was older. Um, So I think it was so important for me to make sure that my son started to see those positive decisions early on and even before he would even remember. So yeah, I think that that definitely helped me come to that decision for sure. So we all like have heard probably that, you know, like the whole daddy issues and women that are abandoned end up dating certain men. So what is your take on that? You know, I used to read about it and I used to think, oh, it's so cliche to say, you know, she has daddy issues, but it is really, you know, there is really something to be said about that. I personally feel in kind of taking this time in the last few years after getting divorced and being on my own and really reflecting back on the choices that I made, because we all have to take responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. No matter what. I did really see that, okay, that sense of abandonment affected me so much that I wanted to be with someone um, that I had to feel I had to take care of and that I Mm. felt like I had to be needed by. So if he needed me, he wouldn't leave me. And so that's really the conclusion that I came to. And I think a lot of women feel that way. They feel that they have to be indispensable to men so that those men don't leave them. But what I really learned was no matter what you do, if a man wants to do something, that is his choice and that has nothing to do with you. So you might as well live for yourself, live for what 
you feel you need to do. Put yourself first, take care of yourself, have that self-care because who you're going to be with, you know, again, they're responsible for themselves too. So I think that all of that just kind of comes together. It's so true. It's so interesting how people will do these things. Where was I here? Oh, it was, it was a client. That's what it was recently. She was talking about how she loved cooking, but the reality was you could hear it in her and she addressed it that she was cooking so much for the man that she was with because mm. she felt like he didn't know how to do any of that for himself. So he'd be so dependent on her meals and feeding him that he would never leave. And yet yeah. he did. And so what does it show you that you could do all these things for someone else? And that doesn't guarantee anything. No, it doesn't. And it's so true because I think if anything, you know, we all want to feel needed, right? Right. But I think if you let that be your sole focus, um, you're losing yourself in the process, which then you're losing the person that your partner fell in love with. So now they're seeing someone like, okay, this isn't that fun, independent woman that I dated, you know, now there's this woman who basically is trying to kind of turn into my servant. Now, listen, I'm all about cooking, cleaning for your partner, but I definitely learned from previous experiences. It has to be an equal partnership and you can't lose yourself because yeah, the attraction does fade. I mean, you know, we all like independent men who, you know, can take care of themselves. So why wouldn't we think that a man, the right man for us, would want the same things. So again, it's just really asking yourself those tough questions and chipping away at what you've done in order to kind of move forward and try to make a better decision when you meet somebody else Mm -hmm. Um, and just kind of looking at those things so that you don't repeat the same mistakes. Was this very clear to you that you needed to have this for lack of a better term, coming to Jesus moment when you're just like looking back on the choices you made or did someone tell you to do that? Like, how did that come about after No, I mean, really, I think so many people try their best to give you advice Mm -hmm. and they could show a mirror to you and be like, you know what's going on, but until you know it yourself, I mean, we've all been there. We've all seen our friends, our family. It's so much easier for us to look at everybody else Mm -hmm. and be like, what is she doing? You know, but we don't look at ourselves. And so I I think the time after everything ended, you know, the first few months, the first year, I was so insecure. I was so like, what's wrong with me that I couldn't make this work? And like, what's wrong with me that we were so unhappy? And so I really had to stop looking at it from, you know, is so-and-so prettier? Is so-and-so more successful? Is so-and-so, you know, playing the comparison game and really look at myself and compare myself to who I was before and to who I wanted to be. So if you're going to play that comparison game, play it with yourself. That's sort of what I started to do. Like, okay, how did I get here? Because I'm done now grieving and you know, being mad at the universe. So let me take stock here and find out what's going on. Um, So I think just time and allowing yourself to get out of being in denial. I think so many women are still so quick to kind of bash these guys that they were with that maybe didn't work out. And listen, you know, some ex-husbands are really awful, (laughs) but you know, I think it's a slippery slope if you're constantly just blaming it on that person. You have to, again, look at yourself, whether it's even if you didn't do anything quote unquote wrong, you might have allowed that behavior to happen to you, right? You still, you're your own advocate. Mm -hmm. So if you're being treated poorly, you're the one that needs to stand up and say, I will not allow this. So Mm -hmm. it is that person's fault, but it's also your own and not in a negative way. Just again, more for your growth so that you don't get 
hurt again, you know, later on, you're making your own choices. I love that you say that if you're going to compare yourself to anyone, compare yourself to yourself. First off, I have to tell the audience that this is the thing about comparison, how easy it is, because you are absolutely stunning. When I saw that picture, oh my gosh, thank you. It, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> there hasn't been a more beautiful person on this. Oh, oh my too. gosh, thank you. You are. <laughs> So are you though. You're like a legit model. So no. <laughs> thank you. No, I'm, I'm an awkward, awkward person. No, so am I. I'm super clumsy. But anyway. When you actually, let me just talk about something that you had written in the spotlight mm-hmm. that really I love. When you just said it now, people will bash who you're with. Yeah. And yeah. you brought up about how, you know, it ends up making you feel bad about the person you're with. Yes. It's, it's like the worst path. And everyone does it. It makes them so small. And then they're trying to minimize your heartbreak or overlook someone that you had dedicated your heart to. Talk to me about how that's not really the route to go. No, I mean, it really isn't. And again, we've all been there where if, you know, a guy hurts us, you know, our friends, they all mean well. You know, I'm not saying that that they don't. Of course, they mean well in saying, you know, don't worry about what that, you know, so-and-so does, calling him names, you know, saying, remember he did this, this, and this to you. I mean, if anything, it just makes you feel worse because you're already feeling awful about potentially losing this person, right? That you've committed yourself to, that you've put so much time and love into. So it's already painful. So then when a close friend or family member is saying to you, like, why are you even worried about this guy? You know, it just makes you feel in more pain. So now you're saying, okay, well, so now not only am I going to lose this because it might've been my fault or you're already feeling insecure, but now you're feeling like you're wrong for grieving and for being upset about losing this person. So I felt like my friends and family, as much as they were trying to help me. And I, and again, I know that that's what they were trying to do. It definitely made me feel worse. It made me feel like, oh my gosh, like, will anyone understand that no matter how much pain there was involved, that I still love this person? And yeah, he's not the one for me, but it doesn't change how I feel about him. And you're only making me feel awful for continuing this process that I need in order to move forward. So mm-hmm. I think I internalized a lot of things. There was only really one close person in my life, a great girlfriend of mine. She's incredible. Actually, you might want to talk to her next. She was great at letting me just go through my feelings. She didn't judge any feeling that I had. And I think it's so important. If you're not fortunate to have someone like that in your life, you need to, again, remind yourself or maybe reach out to a therapist to talk to someone to convince yourself and reassure yourself that everything you're feeling is normal and you're okay to feel those feelings. So yeah, that's kind of what my takeaway was with that. We all mean well, but that's probably not the best way to go. Right. And I think that with a lot of friends, it can end up feeling like there's like this time clock running down of how long you can talk about someone. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Cause you definitely, you don't want to be that Debbie Downer, right? Constantly like wanting to talk about it, you know, and you feel like too, uh, you don't want your friends to just be like, Oh my gosh, you know, this guy was such a jerk. Like, I can't believe she keeps going on and on about him. You definitely have to take those social cues, but you need to know that it's okay. If you want to keep talking about the person, it's okay, you know, but maybe start to internalize that because again, you have to live with yourself. Uh, Another thing I remember is when people would say, you're not alone and you know, we're here for you. Again, great message, but something that I came to realize too was I'm not alone even when I am alone because you have yourself. You're never alone. Even if you have friends and family around you and you feel alone, you're not alone. You have yourself. So you could be with yourself. 
You mentioned about your dad feeling this abandonment from him and how your mom ended up remarrying when you were 10. It sounds like you didn't have this example of what co-parenting would ideally look like. That is the case. Yeah. So they got divorced when I was about three and I saw him a handful of times after that. I was very close to his side of the family though, and I still am, but I didn't see him very much. And so I didn't have that example of the co-parenting, like you mentioned, I didn't know what that would look like. So I had to kind of figure that out with my ex. Yeah. So tell me about that process, because I think like the thing that sometimes doesn't hit people is when they're bashing even the person they're with or they're holding all these grudges is that this person is going to be in your life for the rest of your life. How can you develop a relationship? So when you think about them or you hear about them or they come around, there isn't this anxiety in your body toward them. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a mixture of things. I had to come to the realization of who my ex was and, you know, Deep down, you know, he has things that he needs to go through and process, but deep down, he is a good person. He's a great father. And that was what my focus needed to be. You know, I owe it to my son to show him that his parents care about him more than anything, that we are putting him first. So for example, you know, whenever he sees us, we're very friendly. We hug each other. We ask each other how we're doing. You know, he sees nothing but love and feels nothing but love. Even with our extended family and friends, we've told everybody, listen, no matter how you feel about this other person, you are not to say anything negative in front of our child because those are his parents. So even though we're split up, he's not split up from us. Those are his parents. So when I see other situations where the co-parenting is really negative or they're taking shots at each other in front of the child, that is so damaging to the child. Because as I've said, how I felt about my father and that sense of abandonment, you know, these kids are going to feel that when they're older, whatever we do now affects them later on. So me focusing on that positive aspect of making sure that he only saw love, if anything, it helped me kind of get over the situation more because I saw we are so much better the way we are now than had we been, had we stayed together just for the sake of our son. I think the biggest thing is your son seeing you guys show love and look comfortable with each other. It's so important. And I mean, even my father who wasn't really involved in my life and then he passed away when I was 19. So I never felt like I had an opportunity to, you know, attempt to kind of have a relationship with him. But my mom was always wonderful in that she never spoke badly of him. I never even knew what happened between them until I was a teenager when I overheard a conversation from somebody else. And I think that again, that example showed me that I really don't want our son to know anything or know specific details, you know, unless he asks or when he's older, because how he looks at his parents are so crucial to his development. And so I don't want him to look at us, you know, in a negative way because of our divorce. Um, I don't want it to affect him that much. You know, we can try to protect him as much as we can in this, in this instance and any other thing, you know, we can't keep him in a bubble, obviously, but in this respect, we control this. So however we act and are with him is so important, especially too, as we bring in other people into his life. So we're each both with people now with other, you know, with significant others. So how we act in front of him and how we are with each other in that, again, has to set a good example for him. 
Did you meet someone and like, is, is your immediate thought, oh my God, how am I going to bring this person around my son or? Yeah. You know, and I was always so nervous about that because I did, you know, date a bit and I did mention that like in the spotlight when you're, you know, meeting new people and it's so exciting taking that chance, but it's also so foreign, especially if you've been with someone for a long time, like in my case, but I was always anxious thinking, okay, if this relationship works out, how is this person going to be around my son? Well, no one ever met him because I, I was very adamant about making sure that he only met someone that was very serious. So actually the person that I am with, we ended up meeting him at the same time. So we were at the local library and he was there with his child and we struck up a conversation. And so the kids kind of were always around each other because we were friends for a while first. And then, you know, it didn't become more frequent or let's say at each other's houses until we were seriously dating. So I think I was lucky in that aspect. I know obviously a lot of single moms when they date for the first time, you know, there is that anxiety of, I don't really know this person and let me get to know them a lot more before I even, you know, bring them around the child. Cause again, all of these things affect the child. So, and that to me at the end of the day is the most important thing, you know, if you are a parent, but I think it's also a great way to really allow yourself to child aside, to take the time to get to know someone before you kind of become so serious or before you, you know, give them that time in your life. So, you know, I think it's great to not rush into something if you've gone through a major heartbreak or a major divorce or, you know, a relationship ending. You have to give yourself that time. Well, talk to me about that because it's a frenzy of love out there nowadays. Dating is like this frenzy. And I really say that it's old school almost to have someone earn a place in your life these days. Yes, it's so true. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people, of course, when you're out and about and someone has someone, you know, you definitely want that. But then it's so funny because I feel like Sometimes I see people in relationships and they're like, oh, I miss the freedom that I had when I was single. So I think a lot of people tend to, you know, grass is greener in these situations. But I think it's so important to take that time with yourself because, you know, you owe it to yourself and you owe it to the person that you want to be with. Like if you meet somebody, if you haven't done the work on yourself, you're not going to be good for the next person. No matter how great of a person that is, you need to do that work on yourself first. And one of the great things that I had, you know, when I started dating my boyfriend was he said to me, he respected me and he wanted to court me. And I was like, whoa, it is we started dating in 2017. So I'm thinking courting me, who even says that anymore? And then I realized he's so right. I shouldn't just jump right into this. You know, I owe it to myself to be courted, to, you know, have someone take their time to get to know me and vice versa and really respect me in that way. And I thought that was honestly the most attractive thing. I really, what does that even mean? Courting? What does it look like? So I'm like, okay, so we aren't, you know, in the time of, you know, uh, being chaperoned on dates. So I was thinking, you know, when he first said that I, at first I thought, okay, this is weird. You know, is he trying to friend zone me? Like, I didn't know what was going on. And then the more I talked to him, I'm like, it really was in the sense of how we would go out to dinner. You know, we didn't become intimate for a while. Again, so foreign in this day and age. Like I think people right. meet somebody and they sleep together, you know, within the day or two of meeting. And it's just realizing again that, hey, I owe it to myself to have more respect for myself. Like I am worth the wait. So mm-hmm. let me take these few weeks to just get to know you. And like, we didn't even kiss until three weeks in. I mean, it was so... 
I hadn't felt like that since eighth grade, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, where you do nothing, you know, it was just another lesson that I learned, which I wouldn't have learned these things had I stayed where I was before, you know, all these crucial bits and pieces that you learn as you grow and as you mature. But I was lucky, I think, with him. I did meet a lot of great guys before that. But I think you always know in your gut whether, you know, it's worth kind of pursuing further or not. You know if it's going to work or not based, again, on your own interests. If you take the time to really look at yourself, you'll find the right person for you because you're giving that to yourself already. So major lessons that I'm always trying to be aware of and to not miss. Yeah, I always say that we have a strong sense of where someone might go or the lesson that might be there, really the longevity of something. And the romance becomes forgetting that. Yes. Yeah, it's true. And, you know, and it's, again, it's just the way that, you know, you approach dating, you know, in a new way. It's just, again, I can't be, you know, be more adamant about it not working until you literally, again, court yourself. And I think that's something that I, I might have touched upon too on our spotlight was sweeping yourself off your feet, yes. being your own hero, because so many things around us really kind of show us, hey, you need someone to save you or you need someone to be there for you in the way to kind of solve your problems. And that's so much pressure to put on a partner too, you know? And so, Again, I looked back on that and I'm like, you know, did I expect my ex-husband to fulfill my every need? And because he didn't, like I was unhappy, you know, and vice versa. That's really not your responsibility to fulfill everything that your partner needs in themselves. You know, it's not your job. So I think when you approach it in that way, you're in a healthier position in a new relationship to also kind of call out things that you didn't before. Like for example, now if I see something that doesn't sit well with me or that I don't feel right, I say it right away. Whereas before I would internalize it and become beaten down by it and which would again negatively impact my relationship. Now I'm very quick to say, hey, you know, this and this didn't sit well with me or I feel, you know, that sometimes we get to this point. Just being able to communicate more is huge because right, no one can read your mind. So again, all these things, you know, as you dive in and after you take that time are just so important to keep in mind, you know, and it's, it's not like I say like these daily affirmations to myself. I definitely don't. We're all very busy. It's just more in the bigger picture thing. So it's not like I have these, you know, mantras that I have to repeat or that I'm so what? No. By the way, you're one of the first guests that don't have that, by the way. No, I don't do that. I, I literally, no. Like, I'm, am I the only one without a meditation practice? Yeah, I know everyone has like meditation time and whatever. Like I can't, my mind is just always going crazy. And if not, if I want to chill, I'll just, you know, give myself those moments of self-care where I'm like, all right, I'm just going to literally sit down and just, you know, watch Grace and Frankie for a while or Outlander. And that's my time. <laughs> but I don't sit and say, I need to have, you know, remind myself of this. That's so not a knock to people who do that. I think people who do that have such great control of themselves that, that they're able to do that. I'm actually envious. So. Me, too. Me too. I admitted that in my last episode that went out today because she's a meditation practitioner. And I just said like, envy, you know, I just have envy for it. I remember feeling like my meditation practice when I was living in Miami was driving in my convertible. That's as close as I got to nature. Oh and that yeah. was it. And that was my thing. But you know what? Everybody is different. And, I, and that's the other key too. I think, you know, everybody around you in the media and in social media is all about, you know, 
I'm this, I'm that, putting on that front, feeling like you need to be that way in order to kind of fit in. But everybody is different and every man is different. Every partner is different. So we can't expect to all be the same or to all kind of fit in in that way. It's never going to work. So I think, again, embracing your own differences and embracing the differences in your partner that attracted you to them in the first place is more of a recipe for success. I mean, there is no guarantee, right? I mean, we all take a risk, but being more of an individual person, and I don't know if we want to get into like the business side of it yet and kind of how that motivates, but it's so important to do that because it affects every area of your life, not just your romantic life. Yeah. Well, tell me, go into the business side. Okay. So just, I think we briefly maybe touched on how the time where things slowly started to fall apart or that I was, you know, less in denial about them was when I was pregnant and at the same time taking over the firm that I now own. So a lot of that was, um, and I did say a bit of this in the spotlight was I had to almost play small and almost feel, um, embarrassed by, um, how well things were going for me at work and how, you know, suddenly everything felt different. And I was more on kind of a fast track. Um, whereas my, you know, ex-husband at the time was in the same job and things weren't going as well, you know, and I think a lot of women feel this way. And again, sad still in this day and age that we do feel this way, but it's almost like we feel bad that we might be more successful, whatever that means, whether it's, you know, money-wise or, you know, happiness. Yeah. Anything of that, you know, I felt like I I couldn't talk too much about it. You know, he'd be supportive some days, not in other days. And I felt like I had to play small um, in order to kind of have more of a smooth sailing. And then I did shelve something that's so important to me, but I have been a stage actor for my whole life and doing musicals and play piano and all of that. And I sort of put that to the side because I wasn't in a situation that was necessarily supportive of it. And so again, before you know it, you've chipped away so much of yourself in order to make a relationship work where you're like, is this worth doing? I mean, I don't even know who I am anymore. So all of that kind of was the, you know, what motivated me to maybe instead of playing small after a while, once things ended, I'm like, you know what? I owe it to myself and I don't have to be embarrassed or ashamed that I am doing well at work and it's okay to say that and it's okay to be a working mom and I shouldn't have this guilt and I shouldn't have to feel like I can't do these things because I'm in a marriage. It just wasn't fair, but it did take me a while to get to that point. And it happens in dating. You kind of almost want to stay as you are when you go into a relationship because it worked then. And anything else you feel like it could jeopardize how someone else feels about themselves and then therefore the relationship would end. I mean, I've experienced it myself. It's like, it absolutely is that word plain small. You have this moment in your life, like, do I celebrate myself? Do I really recognize and be able to speak about it? Or do I say quiet because it makes someone else uncomfortable about where they are in life? At the end of the day, if I do well, that means you're doing better. Like, yes. that's team, like that's a team. Yeah. Why do we ever think differently about this? Right. But it goes back, like you're saying, like if you don't do the work on yourself and if you don't know what you have and who you are and that you were all on journeys of growth, then everything else seems like it's going to take someone else away from you. Yeah. 
No, it's true. And, and again, if you don't recognize these things in yourself, how do you expect someone else to do it? I mean, you're already setting yourselves up for failure because you're putting it so much on that person to discover what your needs are. And I mean, who can do that? I mean, I know I certainly can't, you know, I'm always trying to be helpful and to help my partner out. But I'm also really aware of like, okay, certain things I know he's more than capable of doing, you know? Um, And I think there's a difference between that and necessarily being thoughtful. I mean, thoughtful, I think is a different thing than fulfilling someone's emotional needs, you know? (laughs) We'd explain that because I think thoughtfulness is everything, but what are you seeing the differences? Okay. So I think the way I look at being thoughtful is like, okay, if, you know, cause my boyfriend now, he also owns his own business. And so I'll know, you know, if he's been running like crazy and he hasn't eaten all day, like I might just pop by and just drop something off for him to eat. Right. It takes me what, five minutes, but the thought was there and it meant so much to him to know that I thought about him. There's the difference between that and feeling like, okay, whatever internal issues he might have, I'm here to listen to them, but it's not necessarily my job or responsibility to know all the answers for him. Mm. So I feel like those are the differences between feeling like you need to kind of fill a person up with whatever they're bankrupt in versus being thoughtful for them in, you know, these kind gestures, because I think all those little things really mean a lot to people. It's just a sign like, hey, they're thinking about me. Like I'm important because, you know, like they make me feel like I'm important in their lives. Not, I can't function today until I talk to this person because I'm relying on them to fulfill every need that I have. You know, I think it's such a dangerous area to be in. So kind of finding that middle ground is really important. Wow. That's so huge. Gestures versus fixing someone. Right. Yeah. That's really it. You can't fix someone. And again, I think all of that I learned too, how, you know, again, with my father and feeling that sense of abandonment, it did feel like I had to fix the person that I was with, fix the person that I married, again, to make them need me, to make them, you know, what I needed them to be. It's not our job to say what a person should be. Take them at what they're showing you. You know, this is you as a person. Okay, I have to take you as you are. You know, I'm not saying that, of course, nobody's perfect, but issues that people have, they need to fix it themselves. You can't fix it for them. Or if you try to, it'll only just be a temporary kind of band-aid because they're not doing the work on themselves. So you have to kind of alleviate that pressure off of yourself. I remember even having boyfriends that felt like because they were in my life now, I should always be happy. And I was like, wait a second. Before you, I had struggles. Like I had things that weren't full in my own life. Like that I wasn't living up to certain, just, I hate the word standards, but just something within myself. The romance is thinking that someone comes in and we're forever changed. Yes. But the realism is the fact that whoever they met me as, that's still me. That's still my issues. And that's for me to do. And that's more empowering. Like I remember just being so put off really by someone coming in and being like, well, you should be happy now. Like, I'm like, don't put that pressure on yourself. No, no. Don't be in denial about me, you know? Right. Right. And, and it's so unfair because it's also very much, you know, I had this, a similar situation where someone said, you know, I just want you to be happy every day or like, I don't get it. You know, you're usually so outgoing. Like, you know, why are you so down today? And I just remember thinking, I'm not a clown. I can't just 
perform every day for you. And I have negative feelings and other emotions other than happiness, just like you do. And so, you know, feeling like you have to be on. um, And I think, again, one of the most profound things I remember that someone told me was, or that my ex told me was, you know, when you're stressed, I'm not attracted to you. And I was like, wait, what? That's not fair. (laughs) I mean, everybody is stressed and it's not like even like I'm a person that lashes out when they're stressed. If anything, I I internalize it and I just don't say much. And so, yeah, apparently that wasn't attractive. And so I'm like, you know, at the time in the space that I was in, I internalized that and I thought, okay, there's another thing that I did wrong. And so it just, if anything, it just, you're chipping more away at yourself and just becoming so weak feeling and feeling like you're subservient. And that was so not who I was. And so again, allowing yourself to say, Hey, you know, I can have a bad day too. And it's not just you. If you can't handle me when I'm stressed, well then you can't handle me at my best. You know, there's that great thing that's been going around, right? All those funny jokes that keep going around about, you can't handle me at this, then you don't deserve me at that. That is so true because it's like, well, how unfair, you know, you can be upset, but I can't, you know, it's really being your own advocate for things like that, because if you don't point it out to the other person, they might not see it. Um, you know, and if you say it, hopefully they'll be like, Oh my gosh, you're right. I don't know what I was thinking, but if they don't, Hey, maybe you need to take stock and see if that person is the right person in your life. Mm. How did you have this marriage where you were feeling like your spirit was being chipped away? And I can almost see like how these things just make you smaller and smaller and isolated. It's like you're being pulled away. Like, how do you live in a house with someone or fall asleep with someone with that feeling? Because I imagine it's like almost like this terror inside of you, of this discomfort. It is. I mean, it was for sure like a walking on eggshells situation. And I think for me, again, I can't speak for everyone in a similar situation, but for me, because I had been with him for so long and because to me, I think both of us were very different people at that time than we were in the first couple of years that we were dating and got married. We had kind of turned into different people. For me, I just stayed because I thought, okay, well, I've been with him so long. I still adore him and love him. And I think that's, again, the hard part is that even though you know, you know you're put in an environment now that is not healthy, you still can't help the love that you feel for the person because you hope that it'll go back to how it was. And so that's why you stay. But for me, I think it was a combination of things of why I stayed. You know, I had moved away from my family and friends. I was literally physically isolated in addition to being emotionally isolated. I was in an area that I wasn't familiar with and that I only moved to because of him. And so I felt very alone and I felt like people around me maybe wouldn't have understood. You know, we were very close by to his family and I adored his family. Family, we were very close, but I definitely felt like obviously at the end of the day, they would, you know, comfort him. That's their family member versus me. So I did feel very alone. And I think that was the reason why I stayed so long, even though I knew it wasn't the right thing for us. And of course, our child. I mean, again, it goes back to that. You know, when there is a child involved, really want to take your time to really think about, you know, as unhappy as you are or as depressed as you are, I think you do sometimes stay longer just because you're so afraid of what that will mean for your child. I want to circle back and I hope you're okay with this too. When you said that you overheard someone talking about what happened between your dad and your mom. Right. 
What was that first emotion within you? Yeah, I remember I was I was shocked because I had only been around my father a handful of times. I mean, I still adored him. He was my father, right? And he was the only father, you know, that I had, but I was very close to my grandfather, to my cousins, to my godfather. So I did have a lot of great male role models around me to love me, but I remember when I heard it, you know, when I heard that he was an alcoholic and that he was physically abusive to my mother, I was stunned. I definitely asked my mom right away, you know, is this true? How come I didn't know? And, you know, my mom was really great. Like, listen, this isn't something that you share with a child, you know, (laughs) like I didn't want you to feel that way or feel nervous about being around him or anything like that. And for the record, I never did. I mean, he did always make me feel loved when I was with him. I never felt, you know, any negative feelings, but it was a huge realization to me. And I think if anything, you know, you sort of grow up in that, in the span of a second, because all of a sudden, you know something so profound. And of course, it did shift my opinion about him, which, you know, affected me later on in life and and the choices that I made. So yeah, it, it was just a shock. And I think that's why I think it's so important as a parent to really be careful with what you say and how much a child knows until you're ready to share, if ever. You know, of course, they're going to have questions when they're older. But my opinion, you could definitely wait until then to share the nitty gritty. So I've heard women say that are abused. I didn't want my children to know because I didn't want them to think less of me. Did you ever think in your mind less of your mom for having been through that situation? No, never. Um, If ever. Yeah, I, I think... Because all I remember about my mom was how strong she is and how strong she was at that time. And she took a chance and tried for a job opportunity, which moved us to Florida with Virgin. And so, you know, here she was in a state where she knew no one, had no friends with a six-year-old daughter to raise full time. By seeing how strong and independent she was, I've never thought even now knowing all the details that I know. And of course, I've asked many more questions over the last few years. And especially with what I went through, my mom has been a great sounding board to know that she knows exactly what I feel like. I've never felt that she was weak. I mean, because she did stay a few years just like I did. I do remember asking her, you know, how could you stay a few more years? Like, did that affect you a lot? You know, and she had the same reasons that I did, where it's like, just you are in denial, you hope it'll change, and you don't want to do anything traumatic to your child. But she left when she was ready to go, just like I did. And when you know you're ready, you know it. And you're just like, okay, let's let's do this. And so, yeah, no, I don't look at my mom as like, oh my gosh, you're so weak. Because I recognize how I went from a super strong, confident, independent person to this wallflower mm. over the span of days, years, months, and how easy it is to get into that when you are with someone who maybe, you know, isn't as secure with themselves as you know, he leads you to believe. Um, and that's their way of making themselves feel better. So I don't even blame myself for that. I used to, but I, I don't anymore. I just, you have to take stock and responsibility and you have to let certain things go and say, you know what? It wasn't my fault. It just makes me think of like bullying yourself even. And I remember when I was anorexic and people's reactions to me, like they would say the worst things to me in public. Uh. And I remember just realizing like at that time, even knowing that for me, it wasn't a story about being bullied. It was a story of being feared. And I think people are really scared when they see how easy it is to turn on yourself. And in relation to what you're saying is that it can take days. And of course it's over months and years, but days to go from being someone that's strong to a wallflower. Like it happens over time. And yet at the same time, it happens quickly. And I think it's just you 
turn on yourself easily in a sense. And you turn away from yourself. And that's what happened to me. I was someone that was strong and suddenly was starved. And it had been in my mind for a while, but I turned on myself quickly. And it's shocking, but it happens for people. You can let go of yourself easily. You really can. And, and, you know, again, you're so incredible for going through that and recognizing that in yourself. And again, having that self-care and valuing yourself above all uh, so that someone else can as well. But it's so true. I mean, you know, I think if anything, the people that I've spoken to over the years that were in my life, you know, a lot of people didn't know until I was ready to tell them, you know, yeah, there was mixed reactions. There were people that were like, I can't believe you wouldn't just leave that day. Or the best is always when you do get cheated on how someone is like, you know, if he ever did that to me, I would just kick him out that day. I would never. And I used to say the same thing until it happened to me. You have no idea what it's like until it's happening to you. You could say everything that you want. You could say all the things you would do. I'm telling you nine times out of 10, you won't do any of those things. know when it's happening to you. So, you know, yeah, did I do the whole kick out thing? Sure. But then I took them back two months later and stayed another two years, you know? So it's just, um, you don't realize until these things are happening to you, how it's happening. And I don't consider myself again, like, oh, I must've been so stupid to stay or to allow this. No, because what is that going to solve? We can't berate ourselves like that. We'll never get through it and we'll never be confident to make other choices in life. And, you know, I really try and just kind of take a step back when I hear people say, oh, this or that, or how could you have done that? I mean, I think it does come from a very, at times, judgmental place when people say that and say, hey, how could you have done this to yourself, Chelsea? You know, things like that. It's like, you don't know what I was feeling. You don't know what it's like. And until you do, I mean, I just need you to hear me out. I think it's judgment, but I also think that people fear that they too, like they see something like you doing something or like I did, and they suddenly don't trust, they won't admit it, but they don't oh, trust right. that they wouldn't do the same thing. And they're afraid, they, they're kind of pushing for an answer because they want someone to give them certainty that you're right, I was stupid, I should have done it differently, I don't know yeah. how this happened. And the reality is, no, you can slip outside of your own control, even a strong person. A hundred percent. And I'm so glad that you said that too, because it just reminded me that I actually lost a couple friends who were married um, when I got divorced because it's almost like, it was almost like a disease. Like, oh my gosh, if it could happen to them, you know, could it happen to me? And it's like, well, yeah, again, any choice anybody makes, there is no guarantee and it could happen to you. But I think people almost were afraid because I didn't have an answer of where it all, it was such a combination of things. And it's like, oh my gosh, if there wasn't a clear cut answer as to why this didn't work, you're right. It's like, they were like, okay, oh my gosh, there is no answer. So let let me kind of step away from this. And, you know, it was unfortunate that I lost the person, but in many ways, I'm grateful not to have them in my life because, you know, it could happen to you. Any of this could happen to anybody. And so you can't kind of say and look for that answer because there really isn't one. Right. I remember hearing something along the lines of, it's like when someone gets cancer, has cancer, and someone wants to hear, like, if it's lung cancer, they're like, oh, okay. Like, that's all right. Yeah, I don't smoke. I'm good. Yeah, right. I won't smoke. I know better than that. And the same thing goes for when it's heartbreak because someone is like, well, how did it happen? So they can never have it happen to them. They need an answer right. so they can avoid it. Right, right. Like some sort of insurance against it, right? How would you tell someone, because you just brought up being grateful, like, 
if someone's going through heartbreak, what do you think maybe, again, there's no answer, so this is a bad question, but (laughs) how can someone open themselves or soften around something so maybe they could end up having a sense of being thankful in the end? It's funny, again, that we're having that this conversation and having you know this particular question because after I went through my process, a very dear friend of mine went through it as well, and she never thought she would go through it, but she went through it. Um, and I think at that point, I had so much more clarity about my situation that I was able to kind of give her some advice of what to do. And what I always said was, you just have to feel it. You have to feel it. You have to allow yourself these feelings. And it's agony. It really is. It's agony to kind of walk around in a quiet house um, or apartment and, you know, be sobbing in a corner or be sobbing in the shower and feeling this constant pain of going through it and, and asking yourself all these super difficult, painful questions. It really is so difficult. And I think a lot of people put other things on top of it, like, again, dating too soon or throwing themselves into other projects so that they're not facing what happened. And so you need to face what happened. You need to go through that process. I remember last year, I'm sure you've seen it, but I saw Call Me By Your Name and the father has such a great conversation with his son, you know, after his heartbreak to say, you know, we chip away so much of ourselves over time by not feeling things that we're emotionally bankrupt by the time we're 30. And it's so true. It's like, if you don't let yourself feel this, you won't know how grateful and appreciative you are when you turn the corner and when you're okay again and when you're in a more healthy relationship, you're not going to appreciate that because you didn't let yourself feel the process. I feel like my divorce was like a death and I look at it that way. I had to go through a mourning period. So look at the end of your relationship like a death because it is the death of the relationship you had your present daily life, and any future you dreamt of with that particular person. So you need to allow yourself that grieving process. Mm, So well said. I love that you brought out that movie too. I love that movie. (laughs) What does it mean to break upward? You know, taking those tools, taking everything you've learned, and again, being your own advocate and propelling yourself forward with that. And just trying to have more of a an appreciation for what you went through instead of like a blame game. And that's where I'm at right now. And I think, again, that's where I'm able to co-parent in a healthy way with the father of my son. You know, I still love him and I always will, especially because he is the father of my son. And so having more of that positive outlook, you know, definitely puts less stress and anxiety on me so that I could be a better business owner. I could be a better friend, a better girlfriend, a better parent. So yeah, just kind of taking those things as lessons to teach yourself how to kind of make other choices in the future. I salute you for being able to still love him. I just, that's what I want for more people. I want people to allow themselves to be able to. I know there's some situations where you can't, but it's so nice when you are without someone and you you don't have to turn it into hate. I think sometimes like appreciating what we went through, it is about appreciating what we went through, but I think that we can have appreciation more when we appreciate how we've handled ourselves afterwards. It's so true. And and again, admitting to yourself, listen, what is hating that person going to do for me? You know, I want them to be happy. I want him to be happy with who he's with. You know, I'm grateful that he's a happy person, especially because that happiness translates to our son. You know, I think wishing anything negative on someone only 
gives you toxic feelings. So you have to just let it go. Yeah, you can have your moments of, you know, oh, I'm so frustrated or I remember that time. Sure, we're all human, you know, but I think overall having the bigger picture of how to control yourself because that's all you can do. I can't control what he does, what anybody else does. I can only control what I do and how I feel. Mm. Where can my audience find you? We are at mosstucker.com and we do have our Facebook page as well, which it's very much like the shoemakers with no shoes. We post rarely on there, but you can find me there as well. <laughs> oh my God. When I see anyone, like I get these notifications that someone has been onto my Facebook profile. I'm like, how could I hide this? I'm like, I have this so I can have a business account on Instagram. Like this is not me. Don't look, don't look. It's so terrible. And especially because we handle social media for our clients and things. Right. That's what we're Yes, like we really, you know, don't do much for ourselves, but hopefully that'll change. Yeah, goals, self-care goals for the business. Yeah, goals. I'm so happy to finally talk to you. As I said before, you're the OG of Thank You Heartbreak. Your, your spotlight was, I think, the most appreciated out of anyone's. And uh, it always stood out to me for that. You stood out to me, but I obviously took in the fact that you were the most popular spotlight. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you. I'm beyond flattered. And I hope this definitely, you know, helps somebody. That would be great. Absolutely. I'm going to just go off on a limb and say, I think it's impossible that it won't. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you. And, and you know, thank you for taking the time. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. And you really are helping people and changing people's lives. And it's incredible. Well, thank you. If this episode resonated with you, it would mean the absolute world if you could pass it on and let other people know about it. How you can support this podcast is really just sharing it, telling people about it. If you know someone that's hurting in their heart, tell them about Thank You Heartbreak. And if you want to be a guest on Thank You Heartbreak, reach out to me. You can find me on Instagram at Thank You Heartbreak, or you can email me directly at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at BreakUpward, B-R-E-A-K-U-P-W-A-R-D, Com. And if you're interested in one-on-one coaching sessions, you can visit my website, breakupward.com slash shop, where you can check out directly from my site. It's a super, 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 super simple process. Of course, I will answer any of your questions before you book. And again, you can email me at chelsea at breakupward.com. There's many different coaching options. And I would love to show up for you as you begin to show up in more wise and clarifying and secure ways for yourself. Thanks for listening, everyone.